very simply, I was doing audiobook narration and I was recording a lot of romance under an alias. And I had a series going with a male friend of mine who's, who's like a little brother to me. And yet we were passing these ridiculous emails and text messages back and forth about the subject matter of this book and asking for pronunciations on human anatomy and things that were just um, hilarious, a hilarious part of our day job. And like not sexy at all, but dealing with very sexy content. And I thought, well, this feels like a romantic comedy. Uh, the screenwriter part of my brain was definitely activated. But I didn't know what the story was, and I didn't know what shape that would take. And at the time, the rom-com market in Hollywood was really dead. And so I knew there was no point in writing an original rom-com. And so slowly over the course of time and more input and, you know, getting further into this industry, it just slowly, a story built up around it, um, around that very simple rom-com idea. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the newest episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. I am Ron Block, and our guest today is the one and only Julia Whalen. If you're a fan of audiobooks like we are, you will likely already know her name. What you might not know is that Julia is now a celebrated novelist whose second book, Thank You for Listening, was published in August of 2022, to great fanfare and acclaim. In fact, the book received a starred review from Kirkus, who called it a compulsively readable story about self-discovery with plenty of laughs and spice along the way. I am Ron Block. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. Julia Whalen is a screenwriter, lifelong actor, and award-winning audiobook narrator of over 400 audiobooks. She graduated with a degree in English and creative writing from Middlebury College and Oxford University. While she was in England, her flirtation with tea blossomed. Get how we did that? Tea blossom? <laughs> Love it. Good job. Uh, that was Ron. Into a full-blown love affair, culminating in her eventual certification as a tea master. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That's so, so sweet. Yeah, that's, uh, that was a while ago. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, I wrote to you after listening to Thank You for Listening, and it was such a delight. I just couldn't, I just had to write you a note and fangirl. Now, if you would, tell our listeners what your book is about, and then tell us our favorite add-on. What's it really about? Ooh, good question. Um, well, first of all, let me tell you that when I saw your email come into my inbox, I also had a fangirl moment. I kind of like stood up and jumped back from my computer like, what? What is happening? So thank you for that. That made my week. Um, thank you for listening is the story of Swanee Chester, who is a what I would call recovering on-camera actress who has uh, 
since a, a tragic accident, gone into audiobook narration. Her on-camera career was ended and she's been narrating audiobooks. Um, but the one genre she really doesn't enjoy doing is romance because she doesn't buy what romance is selling, this happily ever after stuff, uh, faded mate stuff. She's not into it. Um, but one of her original authors who got her started in audiobooks has her last novel that needs to be recorded and has asked specifically for her to do it. And um, the money is too good to pass up. And she says yes, and eventually finds herself living through romance tropes with her mysterious co-narrator, who happens to be the hottest male voice in the game. It is really about uh, self-acceptance and what we do when the choices of our life are taken away from us and how we make peace with that. Very well put. Yeah. And that comes through in flying colors in the book. It's so well written and um, it's only your second book, right? Second book. Yeah. Yeah. Second book. You are in. It's been percolating for about a decade, though, so it was it was a it was a long time coming. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's what I'm about to ask you about because, um, in addition to being a huge fan of your audio work, which I told you before we came on, uh, just like MKA, uh, she turned me on to this book, and I dove right in and loved it. But I read that somewhere, like you said, the idea has been percolating for quite a while. Can you share that original idea and how it grew from there to publication? Sure. So the original concept was very basic. I'm sure Mary Kay Andrews will appreciate this. You get that seed of something that just continues to kind of put down roots. And what that seed was, was, you know, I was screenwriting at the time. And very simply, I was doing audiobook narration, and I was recording a lot of romance under an alias. Um, and I had a series going with a male friend of mine, who's, who's like a little brother to me. And yet we were passing these ridiculous emails and text messages back and forth about the subject matter of this book and asking for pronunciations on human anatomy and things that were just um, hilarious, a hilarious part of our day job. And like, not sexy at all, but dealing with very sexy content. And I thought, well, this feels like a romantic comedy. Uh, the screenwriter part of my brain was definitely activated. But I didn't know what the story was. And I didn't know what shape that would take. And at the time, the rom-com market in Hollywood was really dead. And so I knew there was no point in writing an original rom-com. And so slowly over the course of time and more input and, you know, getting further into this industry, it just slowly, a story built up around it, um, around that very simple rom-com idea. Well, Swanee is such an intriguing, compelling character. She's a true survivor of a terrible accident, as you alluded to earlier, that leaves her with both physical and emotional scars that end up ending her acting career. And you told us a little bit about the buildup of her, but I'm wondering how much obviously you did not suffer. We know that you were an actor uh, for much of your life. And obviously, uh, we can see you but the listeners can't you haven't suffered the kind of accident this one has how but how much of her journey is based on your career um yeah that's also a good question i i, I was very conscious writing this book that because it was set in the audiobook world and because of 
you know, my reputation in the audiobook world, I knew people were going to think that it was very autobiographical. So I was so much of my of this job of building this story out was finding points of departure between my main character and myself. And um, that was one of the hardest parts of actually for 10 years, why I didn't start writing it was I didn't know who she was. And I had been working on a YA novel for years about a, um, you know, very pretty, very privileged, wealthy west side of LA girl who senior year of high school suffers this sudden disfigurement, and just has to go through life with people perceiving her differently, um, just as she's about to embark on her life. And I was able to, it just came to me one day that I was like, when I was asking myself the core question that writers ask of their characters, you know, why are they in this situation? Um, what is their conflict? Like if she's so great as an audiobook narrator and she loves the job and people love her doing it, why is she so unhappy? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I realized that it could be because this wasn't what she was supposed to be doing. And why wasn't she supposed to be doing it? And I realized that I had sort of written this character and I had already done this. And I, I like cannibalized Swanee from this YA novel I had been working on and aged her up about 15 years and turned her into this, this, uh, this character. And you know, I also think at the time when I was really turning my attention to this and saying, okay, this is going to be my second book. I've decided this is what I'm working on. Hollywood was going through the Me Too reckoning. And I didn't want to write a Me Too book. I didn't want this to be, well, Swanee isn't an actress anymore because she didn't sleep with the right producer type of thing. I didn't want there to be like one bad antagonist, antagonistic force. But what I wanted to grapple with was what all actors deal with, which is so much of your career is out of your control. You don't have control over whether you're allowed to work or not. And for me, that drove me out of the business. I finally was just like, I can't take this anymore. I've been doing this since I was nine. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle it. But it was an active choice for me to say, I want to do other things. When that choice is taken away from you, which is what so much of Me Too was about, how do you process that anger and bitterness and resentment? And so um, everything kind of just started to coalesce at that, at that time, late 2017. I love that. I, it, that was a very long explanation. No, I'm sorry, no. But... Are you kidding? No, it was great because <laughs> I, it, the book has more meaning now hearing the backstory from you. So, Oh, good. You know, it seems like both you and Swanee are poking fun at romance, but we talk about tropes but you're also offering a loving homage. And I'd love it if you tell us your approach to telling this story, because as you said, there's, would you say there's a um, enemies to friends to lovers trope in there? Yeah, it does about four different things. Yeah. Okay, yeah. For us, Cause I bet, our, I bet some of our readers would be interested to hear what all, all those tropes that you just managed to hit on. Sure. So you're right in that a, a decision very early on was tone and what is the tone of this book. And I was writing, I mean, I came up through creative writing program. And so I was always writing literary for the most part. And um, I was like, well, the only literary way to do this is to make it sort of a satire. And then I was like, but I don't want to be mean to romance. Like I love romance. That's my mm -hmm. preferred genre. That's what I read. That's where I've done so much of my work. Um, I love it. But as a narrator, I have the distinct experience of being like, I don't love this. <laughs> like, 
you know, when you, it's a job, when it's a job, it becomes something else. And, um, I sat down one day and just kind of brainstormed if I wanted to do this meta sort of experience of someone who doesn't believe in romance, but finds themselves in a romance novel, what are all of the potential tropes I could play with? And the ones that helped create this kind of like zany madcap story in a lot of ways are uh, Snowden. <laughs> I, I do, a, it's not just one bed. It's not, it's not just one bed. It's like just one hotel room. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do um, mistaken identity. There's a, there's a moment where you think it's going to be a love triangle. Um, there's kind of friends to lovers. Um, there's, what is it? There's a moment in the book where she kind of rattles all of them off of, of, uh, what they've experienced, but yeah, any, and even within, even not just tropes, but like certain romance expectations, you know, like right. I, I said about saying, what are the kind of classic earmarks of this genre and how can I subvert them? And so, you know, the kind of like loving grandmother who's actually kind of abroad, <laughs> she is. um, you know, the, uh, the best friend of color who's like, actually like, you know, not just like the sassy cheerleader friend, but is, you know, has her own fully realized story and, and, um, kind of that board that runs that fine line between like friendship and jealousy. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of what I set myself up for was what can I, how can I play with this? I think you checked the boxes. Yeah. (laughs) But but, even beyond that, so readers are going to love the romance focus of this, but you really, you've kind of talked a little bit about it. It's really an entryway to explore deeper issues. Um, You talked to us about combining those and adding those to the lower levels of the story, because as the story goes on and we hear the backstories and and how things came to be, it's like, it's really becomes more meaningful. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm just one of those writers. My first book takes a pretty significant turn halfway through and is a lot in certain ways darker than like the comedy's broader, but the swing is darker than <laughs> than thank you for listening. Well put. Um but it I I like a little bitter with my sweet. That's just me as a actor, that's me as a person. That's um those are the kinds of that's the territory I like to write in. And for me, I think again, coming from biography, one of the things that had stuck with me was at the time that I was building my audiobook career and I was doing so much romance. I was doing so much romance in order to pay for taking care of my grandparents who um, my father had died suddenly. And in that moment, I sort of inherited two 86 year olds. And um, I went through this process with my grandfather, who was in many ways, my best friend. And so the actual most autobiographical part of the book is that experience of dealing with someone um, at the end of their life. But I also thought the other reason that I thought it would be valuable to explore is that if I'm writing a book about the power of fantasy and how we, we, we escape from our lives into fantasy, like what's the darker side of that? And it's someone who is, again, not by choice, but just by circumstance, slowly being pulled into a fantasy world, into a a world not based in reality and how everyone around that has to deal with it. So. Wow. Cheery, cheery. No, no, no. That's great though. 
Yeah, that you kind of led us right into the next question we had about blah blah. Mm. I, oh, love, love, I love to write about cranky old ladies. And love them so much. <laughs> talk to us about about the creation of of blah blah and the people that live in the home with her because I love them just as much. Oh, I want that. Too. I do too. And there, <laughs> I, thank you. I do too. And there were so many. There were moments where you know, in editorial, it was like, do we need this? And I just was like, no, we don't need it. But it's character and it's, it's popular, it's populating the world. And I've had so many people say like, I want to spin off of those, <laughs> those women in there in the home. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, again, it was, it was starting out with, okay, if we have a, a classic, that, that classic kind of trope of, you know, my beloved grandmother is in peril. How am I going to, what do I have to sacrifice in order to save her? Um, but what if that grandmother is like actually kind of complicated and um a a whole world and i i think that for me it was just a joy to write um and to create this kind of old hollywood character that's very much my speed and i i I grew up with those women you know i grew up on sets and i would talk to these women and i'd be sitting in auditions and people still coming in on walkers like navigating the door and you know (laughs) the steps and coming in to read for their three lines and i was just like god bless them like this is this is just that's a certain type of person that just doesn't get enough coverage as far as I'm concerned. Totally agree. Now, that, and in addition to blah blah, though, there's a lot of other um, secondary characters that are just so full of life and fun and funny. Do you have people that come up and say, "Did you base that on me?" <laughs> uh, no, because I didn't. Okay. <laughs> like, All right. Good. I good. think that that's that's kind of always been my rule in fiction is if I'm going to write fiction, I need to completely invent characters. Um, I mean, I certainly felt that obligation with my colleagues. I just met a narrator the other day at Book Bonanza. Um, Gary Furlong is a is a narrator, and I always knew Gary as like a narrator, but I didn't know him, and I didn't know that he's actually Irish. <laughs> And a lot uh, of people kept, because his narration voice isn't, and a lot of people kept telling me, you know, oh, you based him on Gary Furlong. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> what? It's like, no, not at all. So I these are it. the things we don't know about each other. But How much fun did you have coming up with Nick's pseudonym? That was almost the first thing in, and I didn't workshop it because this is such a name drop moment, but I was having lunch with Taylor Jenkins Reid, and she was like, what are you working on? And I told her the basic log line and she said, what's his name? And I said, Brock McKnight. And she was like, take my money. <laughs> and it was locked in from that moment. And I never touched it. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. It is perfect. It is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I so, don't remember how it happened and I don't remember anything. I just remember the moment of validation that I got. <laughs> so I want to go back just a little bit to your first book, my Oxford year. Um, yeah. that you did the narration for, and you got tons of praise for that and a lot of acclaim for that. And now, um, thank you for listening is, is another book that you narrated. What's it like to narrate your own work? Well, I've had two very different experiences so far. I will say that my Oxford year was brutal. Um, first of all, just objectively, it's a difficult book. Like it is first of all, first person present, and so the emotions are really on the surface and you are just fully in that character's head. So if there's any beat that's off, it you really it's hard to glide over it. Secondly, it's a full cast of Brits. I worked with an accent coach that I've known for years for on camera. And I was just like, we just need to come up with like 12 distinct voices 
for this and I need your help to do it. Um, so it's, it was technically difficult. Plus add to that debut author imposter syndrome of like reading my work and just being like, who wrote this? This is terrible. <laughs> and my editor finally being like, you can't send me more notes. Like you have to stop editing in the booth. Please don't do that. <laughs> But I learned my lesson and I was so petrified that it was going to be that bad an experience again that with thank you for listening, I read it out loud at every possible stage of edits, every draft I read out loud. And it's not like I made character choices or I knew exactly how I was going to handle things, but I made sure that the book sounded good um, on a sentence by sentence level. And therefore, when I finally got into the booth, I wasn't editing and it was a joy. It was so much fun. That's good. Now, having narrated so many books too, as you have narrated others' works, has that influenced you or given you ideas to put into your own work, your own writing? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's made me a generalist. I will say that again, having come out of a creative writing program, audiobooks, this career has really been like a de snobbing process. And learning that there's great writing across all category and genre, which is kind of a secret that the literary world keeps from you. Um, and I, I learned to love all types of literature and I can see myself writing in many different genres because again, I think the screenwriter part of me also just comes up with good ideas, good yarns to tell. And it's not necessarily about category, but so I haven't, I've never had a situation where I thought, Ooh, that's a seed of something. Like I don't have a problem coming up with ideas, <laughs> I have a problem <laughs> having the time to execute them. Um, but what I have learned from the amazing writers that I've recorded for is the first lesson of, of so much of like what takes a book from like an okay book to a great book. And so much of that is pacing. And as a narrator, you can't skim you know, as readers, we can like kind of say like, oh, okay, three pages of description. Uh, I'm just going to kind of speed through this. I've got to say every single word. And so you really learn where something drags, where it, you know, um, where you could use more time. Like, I think that that's been what's most valuable about this job. Very well said. I love that. <laughs> Let's talk. You, you alluded earlier to a voice to an accent coach. What training did you pursue to be so expert? All these different ages and genders and nationalities and accents that you're so famous for. Uh, I don't know. There's there's no training for this job. Well, there certainly wasn't when I started, but I've been acting professionally since I was nine. And at the time, I think that's the other important thing to understand is like, I was always, I was training. I was very well trained. I wasn't just like a kid who just wanted to be famous. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get really good at this. And that was sort of my, um, I, I was like, you know, Brando in 1950. Like I was, I was intensely serious about this, but I, as a kid at that time, I was auditioning a lot and it was every, you know, four auditions a week, maybe back when we had things like a real pilot season and, you know, an episodic season. And there was a ton of work when I was first getting started. And so just the flipping between, okay, well, there's this character, this like kind of like private school girl, you know, horse girl. And then there's this like, you know, wrong side of the tracks, uh, Southern girl. And I, I just, 
did I just got really good at flipping between um, characters. Fast forward, you know, 10 or 15 years. And when audiobooks are, it's always amazing to me because in on-camera acting, you have to prove every single thing. Like if you've played, you know, a cocaine addict in one film, but they'll be like, yeah, but I don't know that she can do, I don't know if she can do math. I don't know that we believe her that way. And it's like, everything requires jumping through hoops. And in audiobooks, I was always astounded that they just like give you a book with a a cast of hundreds, every nationality, and just be like, okay, let us know when the files are ready. <laughs> and, um, I didn't know that. That's And wow. it's, so it's, it's like, it really is an amazing, it, that was the biggest uh, mindset shift of, I was responsible for this thing. I was responsible for making sure that things worked. Um, and suddenly having to play things that I would never have been asked to play on camera was uh, you just, you, you figure it out. And unfortunately, the training has to happen on the job. So I mean, I kind of wish I could like, erase the first couple of years of my <laughs> audiobook <laughs> output. Like I, I would like to buy the, the masters back and burn them in a bonfire. But here we are. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to, I'd, I've got some early books that I wouldn't mind. Um, scorching, <laughs> throwing on the pile. All it goes. Is there one? Well, is there yeah. one audiobook you talked about recording? Uh, my Oxford year. Is there another? Is there another audiobook that was just so difficult to do? Oh, sure. Yeah, which ones weren't difficult to do? I mean, I I think that uh, for me, there's there's certain books that live in my kind of memory as. Uh, turning point books, right. and sometimes for great reasons, you know, it was Gone Girl or, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, something like that, or it's th- because they were so hard, but I loved them so much and I was working so hard at them. And and like one book that comes to mind is um, Malcolm Brooks, his first book was called Painted Horses. And it's a beautiful, like literary Western, um, just gorgeous. And it was, but it was so much and like, I wish I could do it again today because I just know so much. I would, I have such, I would have such a better approach to it. But it was, I mean, there's like French with a Basque accent specifically <laughs> in there. Um, it's very, it's very sweeping, huge cast of characters. Um, and I, it's brilliant. And I wish I could have lived up to it. I mean, he thinks I did, which is very sweet. Um, but I, those, that's like a, that one sticks with me for sure. Okay. I'm writing it down. <laughs> no. Oh, it's so good. So is Cloudmaker. His second book is also beautiful. Okay. That's, that's actually a new author for me. So I, I'm, I love when mm-hmm. I can get my hands on something new that I haven't heard before. Cause I've been in this business a long time. Um, yes. so in general, like how do you decide which books you'll narrate? And I want to just say like you've, been associated with some really great works. You mentioned Gone Girl, Taylor Jenkins Reid's Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, Educated. I have some questions for you. And one of my favorites, The People We Keep, uh, Allie Larkin's oh. book. God, I love that book. Yeah. And, you know, I love your narration of it too. Thank it's you. Brought Thank it you. to life. Um, but it seems like at this point you have your pick of projects. What grabs you about a book? How do you make those decisions? Um, yeah, I think this evolves throughout for any narrator, this kind of evolves throughout their career. Um, for at the beginning, it was you, you want me to record a book? Yes. <laughs> yes. And I was doing 70 or 80 books a year. Um, and then I think that as 
as it's moved on, as I, as I've, as you said, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. So much of it comes down to scheduling for mm-hmm. me. Um, and not, especially with the writing and I'm working on a couple of other things right now that I can't over schedule the recording time because I think people also don't realize that it's not just recording the book. It's reading the book, doing the prep on the book, working out those characters and pronunciations. And, you know, for about every hour that an audiobook ends up being, it's four or five hours of work. Um, so I look at, it's kind of like, I just go back to my reader impulse. Like, would I buy this? You okay. know? Yeah. And usually that's based on the writer that I've like had my eye on for a year. Like Rebecca Mackay was one of those where I had done one of her short story collections. I've been a huge fan for forever. But as soon as I saw that email come through my inbox, I was just like, yep. Yes. I want to do this so badly. And with other authors, I've been in it long enough. Allie, I did Allie's first book. It was, and it was one of my first books and we became friends. And I read very early drafts of what would become the people we keep and was giving her notes. And like, it feels so full circle to have been able to have performed that. Um, And we thought for a while about doing it ourselves and doing it with music and doing a whole thing, you know? Um, And same thing with Taylor and Emily Henry too. These are, I did their first books and I just always saw the voice. It was so clear. It was like these these authors are punching above their weight. No one is pr- properly appreciating them. Um, and I, it was just me saying, I will do all of your work. I just love it so much. I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really, it's a, it's, like I said, it's authors that I, I personally love as a reader. It's scheduling. And then if it's a debut, you know, if I, if I just happen to really like the, uh, the premise or the setup, I'm like, yeah, it sounds great. And this is where so much credit goes to the unsung heroes of audiobooks, which are the producers who cast these things and have such an encyclopedic knowledge of their narrators and our personal tastes. And, you know, there's a few producers that if they send me something, I like, I know I'm going to, I'm going to love it. Yes. Now you've done a few uh, full cast projects as well, correct? Mm-hmm. How are those different than um, than just yourself in the booth? Well, I think the coordination. I mean, what's funny is there's. I'm actually starting to gear up to do to do one of those right now, and the the question always becomes, how are we doing this? And I think that with something like Daisy Jones, you know, you're just recording your sections in isolation. Um, but with something like Aaron Mallon, who's another uh, narrator, wonderful, wonderful narrator, and also writer. Erin does a lot of like, she's a playwright by trade. And she, so she does a lot of multicast narration, like live narration. So we're all on a zoom recording from our separate uh, booths. And that's a very different experience. That's obviously fun. That feels like theater, but so much of the time it's just email coordination. It's like, well, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, narrators emailing, we have like a kind of group pronunciation doc and you really hope that everyone reads it carefully. And, yeah. uh, and you know, you're just sharing character sample. It's honestly a lot of, it's, it's more work to be perfectly right. honest, but yeah, it creates for a really dynamic listening experience. Absolutely. I mean, when it's, when it hits, it hits really, really it's so spot good. on. Yeah. 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 So with all of this work you have coming up, um, I hope you're going to tell us that you're working on another book. I am. Yeah. I'm working on a couple of things right now. Um, 
so yeah, I am, I am working on the story that would not let me go, which makes, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna editorialize. I will just, I will just say <laughs> that I am, uh, working on the Casanova project that they are recording. And thank you for listening. I read that as oh a rumor and I thought, Oh my God, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love about it is that it started out again as the, the impulse was just, what is the most ridiculous premise for a romance novel? And I said, it's gotta be a second chance romance with a gigolo. And then I was like, descended from Casanova. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the, that was, that was what I set myself up for in thank you for listening. But to do thank you for listening, I had to come up with so much of the story and the characters and how they parallel with Nick and Swan. And by the time I was done, I was like, there's actually, this is so much more interesting. There's so much more here. So I'm doing it, but I'm going to be doing it as an audio project. Oh, an audio Ooh. original? Yeah. Fun. That's perfect. As it, as it was done in thank you for listening as a series, as an eight part audio series. Um, so I will be officially announcing that soon, but it's, um, it's, I'm really excited about that. And then I'm aside from the writing, I'm actually in the process of creating, uh, my own audio publishing company and platform, which is a huge undertaking, but it is my kind of answer to a lot of what is broken in the audio publishing side of things like narrators, for instance, don't get royalties. And, mm. um, that is just, a, I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Such a, no, it's ridiculous. And it's just a holdover from the days when there was too much manufacturing and producing, you know, um, distribution to make, and no one was making any money, but that's not the case anymore. And, um, I'm just kind of building this thing out of <laughs> VE Schwab put this, uh, video up on Instagram the other day that was about the like propulsive quality of um spite (laughs) (laughs) and like righteous rage is a really underappreciated motivator and that's where i'm at (laughs) i can't wait to see that happen though because you know they say the the best answer to a problem is do it yourself and that's where I got is like, I've hit every wall you can possibly hit in trying to change the system. And then I was finally like, I guess I just need to build the system. So there's going to be a lot of people excited about that. <laughs> I think there will be too. And there's also a lot of even writers that I've talked to about this, yeah. you know, things that they didn't necessarily didn't work in traditional publishing or there wasn't space for, and they're like, well, we can do it as audio and we can, we can do it as audio. This is not, the production aspect of it is not complicated. It's, it's bringing together the right people and um, bringing in the fans so that they feel like they're a part of it. And all of that is the stuff that really animates me. Like, I don't care about the other stuff that that is the stuff that's the creative part um, that I, I really love. And so no, a year ago, I did not think I would be doing this. This was, but here we are and I'm, I'm loving it. Well, I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah. Me too. We'll be talking to you about your new audiobook platform. So Julia, we urge everybody to visit your website to get a glimpse at your wide and varied journey. It's jmwhalen.com. And where else can readers connect with you online to keep up? 
Uh, yes. Okay, great. So, um, on that page on my actual, on my website under contact, there's a newsletter sign up, and I recommend people do that because what I'm just talking about, I will be announcing soon. Um, I do not at this point send newsletters, so you don't need to worry about being spammed because I have not sent a newsletter in a decade and that's part of the problem, but, um, I will be fixing that soon. And Instagram is really where I'm living right now. I think most other platforms I've given up on. So Instagram's great. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's it. That's great. And the other thing I loved about your website is it really does segment your career into all the different hats you've worn and gives people a lot of great detail. It's so interesting. That was hard. I didn't know how to do it. I still, I still don't know there's a way to do it. We were, I mean, I was just like, do I just make an author website? Do I just make a narrator? I don't, I didn't know how to make it work, but it's all there for anyone who wants to explore yes. it. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> and I recommend it highly cause it's really interesting to see your career trajectory. Oh, thank you, uh, Julia. It's been such an honor and a thrill to get to talk to you. Thank you for listening is great. And all your other work in writing and audio, we can't wait for more. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and know that we're ready for whatever you have coming next. That is so nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. And a huge thank you to our listeners. We're so grateful to you for joining us and hope that you'll visit our friends and fiction bookshop.org page to purchase a copy of thank you for listening on behalf of Mary Kay, Kristen, Christie, and Patty. We echo our featured book's title on this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.